Kids, time to come on up and sit, not up on the stage, but just down on the floor in the stairs here, okay? So come on up, find a spot to sit, but just on the stairs and the floor here, not up on the stage today. Hey, guys, good to see you. Come on up. Good. Lots of people coming from this side. You can come all the way over here if you want, on the floor here. Come on over. Come on over. All right. Keep coming. You can sit on the floor right here, guys. There's spots on the floor right here. All right. So we are doing our Advent wreath, right? Advent, we anticipate the coming or arrival of Jesus at Christmas. And so our first candle that we light is called, anyone remember? Expectation candle, because the people of God expected that a Savior would come. Second candle was the prophecy candle, because the Old Testament foretold of the coming Savior, right? And the third candle from last week is the angel candle, because angels announce the birth of Jesus, right? And so today we're going to light our fourth candle which is called the shepherd candle. Everybody say shepherd candle. Good. So the shepherds were, were pretty neat. They had a pretty neat part of the Christmas story. Now, at the time of the Bible, the shepherds were kind of looked down upon. They were kind of the lowliest people of the society. Other people looked down on them. Um, but in the Christmas story, we hear in the Bible we read that the shepherds were really special because they were the first to hear the announcement that Jesus had been born. So we read in Luke chapter 2, an angel came to the shepherds and said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Who was that Savior? Jesus was born as a Savior, yeah. So that had to be really exciting, don't you think, for the shepherds to hear this great news? This was the one they were expecting. This is the one they were waiting for. So do you know what the shepherds did next? Let's keep reading. It says, So the shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So these lowly shepherds that people looked down on, they were the first to hear of the Savior Jesus' birth. And after they went to see Jesus, they went and told other people what they had seen and what they had heard. They told people that they had seen the angels and heard their announcement that the Savior was born. And they went and saw Jesus, so they got to tell people about that. So do you think at this Christmas time that we can be similar to the shepherds? We hear the good news. Do you think we can go tell other people about the Savior too? We can do that. Can't you guys do that? Yeah, you guys can do that too. We can all do that. Tell people about the Savior who came to save from our sin. So the first candle was the expectation candle. Second candle was the prophecy candle. Third was the angel candle. And what was the name of that fourth one today? Shepherd candle, because the shepherds were the first to hear about Jesus and the first to go tell others about this great news. So we have one more candle, the white one in the middle, 
That you'll have to come back for our Christmas Eve service. We'll light that candle. All right? Thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. All right. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. If you have your Bibles, did you turn with me to John chapter 1? Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. I believe it's on page 887 in the Bibles under the seats in front of you if you need one of those. John chapter 1, verse 14. <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, rather short. Only 22 words in the Greek, and yet uh, this one verse is packed with a world of truth and glory of Christ. And so here we see the mystery that the Son of God, which in John chapter 1, he's declared to be eternal, all-powerful creator, he takes on flesh. He became flesh. Last week we saw in John 3.16... This well-known, glorious verse, this text is like it. It contains, in just a few words, simply the most awesome reality that we know. There's nothing as uh, mind-blowing, if you will, that God became man. Jesus Christ is here referred to the Word becoming flesh, God dwelling among His people, sinful humans beholding the glory of God in flesh. So I'm going to read this, pray, and I want to talk about how it connects with Genesis 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Holy Father, You have been uh, unthinkably kind to us in giving us Your Word made flesh. Please teach us now to uh, glorify him in our lives by obeying him. Teach us to hate every false way and give us understanding of what you have here written. And so please come now to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Christmas, as you know, is often celebrated with lots of lights. Lights on Christmas trees, lights hung from gutters on our roofs, candles, Many towns decorate their downtowns. We have the lights of the North Woods. If you've gone and seen that, we haven't yet planned to. So Christmas is associated with light. Why? Well, it's for two reasons. The second is a bit more well-known or less known than the first. The the most well-known reason is that Jesus Christ is referred to as light coming into darkness. Isaiah foretold that the people who walked in darkness would see a great light. Those who lived in a dark land would have the light shine on them. Darkness refers, of course, to our sinfulness. This world is sinful. It's dark. It's not as bright and light and pure as it once was. Christ came as the light of God, as the purity of God, shining the light of the glory of God and salvation in this darkness. So that's why we have lights on trees and so forth. The second reason is related to the first but less known. In John chapter 1, he goes out of his way to connect Christ coming to Genesis chapter 1. John begins uh, in verse 1 of, of his gospel, in the beginning 
Of course, that's exactly how Genesis 1 begins, in the beginning. And so John is speaking as Jesus coming in the flesh of the incarnation, the advent of the Son of God, as a second creation. What does that mean? Well, just as the earth in in Genesis 1 was full of darkness, and God spoke his word, let there be light, so in, in the time of Jesus' coming, the world was dark. 400 years without a word from God. Sin and war and all kinds of darkness. And into that darkness, God spoke his word. But this time, the word became flesh. And so Christ came as in Genesis 1, to create, to remake. How? Well, consider verse 12. To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so in John 1, we don't see God remaking a physical creation. We see God remaking people birthing people anew, and through his people then this world becomes new. And so the word became flesh, so that all who believe in him could become his children. The only begotten son of the father came in the world in our flesh, so that we might become sons of the one and the same father. And so let me just begin at the front of this sermon. Have you turned in faith to Christ? Apart from Christ, it is darkness. There is no eternal hope for you. And if you could see that, admit your darkness, your sin, your separation from God because of that, then I would urge you to turn to, by faith to Jesus Christ so that you might not die but live in him. And so I urge you to do that. Receive him. He gives the right to become a child of God to all who will do this. If you will not, there is eternal darkness ahead of you. There is condemnation. There is God's wrath. And so would you please turn to him by faith. For those of you who do believe in his name and so are children of God, can I ask you, as a dear child of God, are you thankful for this? Another way to say it is sometimes, especially around this season, there's lots to do. There's lots to prepare for, which means you have lots of temptation to grumble. And how can we, who have eternal life in God's Son, also be grumbling? How can we look at others who aren't doing as much as we're doing And inside of us, we get all sorts of bent out of shape and grumbly and complainy when we have all of our sins forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. What complaint can you have with God when God has given you his son? So it seems to me that this season, this text, is a good time to consider your grumbling and how incompatible that is with the truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. So, 
that's kind of the, the, the lead up to our verse. One thing that we see in this text is how little we are in comparison with Christ. Here we see some glory. Christ is referred to as the Word. This text can humble us in a few ways. One, you read these simple words, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What does that mean? What does this mean? It's talking about Jesus. What does it mean that he's the Word? How do you consider that this Word became flesh and dwelt among us? What does this mean? It leads us to be humble because here we have the most basic, fundamental truth of Christianity. And we know just a little of it. We get just a smidge of it. Isn't that humbling? Isn't that humbling? Doesn't that adjust your self-importance? He is this knowable and yet unfathomable Son of God. And in these few words describing who it is, we, we see glory. We see something awesome. It does something internally. And one of the things it should do is we know just a little of him. And even that little is so glorious, it can bring the greatest kind of joy. And so read this verse. Humble yourself before him. God has given you this word so that you might know him. And so I'd like also to urge you to take the time to read his word. Jesus is the word of God in flesh. He is the Holy Scriptures written in human form. God has given you this word to know the Son of God. And so maybe one of the things you could do through this Christmas season and and into the new year is a dedication, a rededication to getting into his word, to putting aside all the excuses and all the whatever and read it. The second way it humbles us is by just showing us who Jesus is. You know you can know Jesus, right? We're not of those in our age who think that God is unknowable. Or we don't say things like, well, this is what you think, but this is what I think. No, this is actually solid, true information, truth about who he is. What do we see of him in here? What I'm going to do in the next few minutes is just, let's just look at Jesus. Let's just behold Jesus. So sit back. Enjoy. Jesus here is called the Word. The Word of God in the Bible is the power of God to create all things. Jesus is that power. When God spoke at the beginning of creation and said, let there be light, that's Christ creating by his power the the world. So Jesus is this. He is God's communication to this world regarding who he is, creating all things and recreating us new. He is the eternal, existing before all time God, and he is eternally dwelt with God, being God himself. This is who Jesus is. We read that Jesus is glory. We have seen his glory. He was born of a virgin. It's glory. Legions of warrior angels sang the battle tune of his coming. Glory. Kings from distant lands followed a star bringing gifts fit for a king. It's glory. 
the rulers of the world were so threatened by him that they tried to kill him as an infant. This glory. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Glory. He walked on water. Glory. He once walked up to the top of the mountain and the glory emanating from his being outshined the sun. Glory. He was hauled up and nailed on a cross where he died in our place for our sins. That's glory. Three days later, he walked out of a tomb. Glory. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules over everything in heaven and on earth. Everything in heaven and earth is now doing exactly as Jesus wants it to be done. This is glory. When John says we have seen his glory, this is what they saw. This is what their eyes beheld. We read that he is full of grace and truth. Some of you may possess a little bit of grace and very little truth. And some of you may possess some truth but very little grace. You don't meet people on earth who possess all of these things in their fullness. Some have a little of one and not of the other and vice versa. Jesus is both. He is full of grace and truth. That is, he is full up to the fullest with the kindness of mercy of God and salvation. And he is the highest and most potent wisdom and understanding and truth of God. If you want to come to one who will completely tell you what is right and true, you can come to Jesus. And if you want to come to one who is right and true and will save you from eternal hell, it is Jesus in one person. We read here that he is the only begotten son of the Father. There is none other like him. This Jesus has existed from all time in of himself. He has no beginning and he has no end. He's existed in eternal relationship of love and harmony and unity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the second member of the Trinity, God on high. He's before all things. Through him all things were created on earth and in heaven and under the earth. He is God. This is Christ the King. And this sight of God's glory in Christ should humble us. Thomas Watson says that the stars vanish when the suns appear. John the Baptist is our example. He says he must decrease so that Christ can increase. So when you come to a text like this, it should remind us of how much God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You can't come to a text like this and be all about yourself anymore. And so how about this Christmas season we make it all about Jesus? I don't know what that looks like in your life. What does it look like? How do you make your gift giving Wednesday morning about Jesus? How do you make your feasting whenever you do that about Jesus? How do you as a parent treat your children in a way that it points them to Jesus? How do you as a husband love your wife or a wife respect your husband in a way that glorifies Christ? Well, one sure way to ruin Christmas is to make it all about yourself. To, to roll your eyes when a family member says something, to continue to harbor resentments, to have to one-up every story, to complain or whatever. The me monster. The way to be freed from yourself is to look at who he is in this verse. That's what I urge you to do. Just think on who he is. What is he like? Let him 
demand your attention. Let him demand your heart. Let him be the reason that you do whatever you do. Don't neglect to worship him before and above all others. Who is he? What has he done? How awesome is his majesty? We haven't even considered that all that we've seen in him, that that great God took on flesh. I don't know if there's any greater verse in the Bible that just stuns you than the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The divine took on the human. God became man in every way like you and I accept with sin. He was born of a virgin through a, by miraculous uh, nature. Jesus Christ, the very God, became very man. Two whole perfect nation, uh, natures, God and man in one person. I don't even know how to put words to that. I don't know how to explain this with the human language. The great God in heaven became what you and I are. And I don't want to take the time to try to look at the theological complexities of this. In fact, I don't think you and I are all that shocked by it. We've heard it before. We've heard this before. The Son of God had to be pushed out of a birth canal. (laughs) He had to be nursed and burped. He had to be changed and cleaned. This is what happened. Christmas is very wonderful. And in our day, it's kind of antiseptic. It's clean. It's bright. It's beautiful. It's neat. You'll note that John says the word became flesh. If you're familiar at all with the Bible, that word isn't a nice word in the Bible. It's a dirty word. For kids, it's a poopy word. It's a yucky word. To say that the Son of God became flesh is one of the most shocking things in all the Bible. You've heard it so many times that it really just doesn't register. Flesh in Scripture is all that's wrong with us. Flesh in Scripture is rape. It's murder. It's pornography. It's stealing. It's lying. It's divorcing. It's it's all that we hate today. This is, this is what Christ came into. I'm not saying he became sin. He, he didn't sin. He, he did become sin for us. One of the things to learn from this is don't, just, don't be overly righteous this Christmas. Don't, don't be perfect. Don't be uptight. Don't be self-important. Jesus isn't the kind of God who's too good to sled with his kids, if you want to just put it in terms like that. He got dirty. He didn't come to be pure and clean and neat. He took on flesh. Get dirty. Who in your life is dirty? Don't be too good for them. Who in your family are you too good for? You look down on. You're better than. You got time for them? Got a place for them? Christ took on flesh. 
he took on the dirtiest word in the Bible. And right after then, we see the sweetest note. The word became flesh and what? He dwelt among us. I don't know that there's any happier, sweeter note in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, this, this has been what God has done. In the garden, God was with Adam and Eve. He walked with them. After sin, he, he still came to Adam and Eve and spoke to them in discipline, of course, but he still came near. He created a whole nation. Appeared to them all the way up and through. He appeared to Abraham. He met Moses in a burning bush. He appeared to his people, Israel, on Mount Sinai. He had them build a tent so that he could tabernacle among them. That's the word here. He, when they came to the promised land, he had them build a temple so that he could be among his people. But always, in all of these tabernacle tents and temples, God was not only with his people, but he was still separate from them. There were still curtains that kept them from him. There was still a holy place that kept them from him. But now, Christ, God in flesh, came personally. No veil, no tent, no fire. No walls, God with his people, Emmanuel. God not distant, God not separate, God taking on our very flesh, drawing near. Jesus is the fullness of all of the biblical truth of God being with his people. This tells us something about our God, doesn't it? When we say God is love, this is what we're saying. God draws near. God comes down. Let me, let me tell you something else here. It tells us something about us. We don't ascend. We don't climb up to him. We don't become qualified for him. He descends. He condescends. He has to come to us. He has to leave the glories of heaven, take on our humanity, our flesh, and come to us. We are impotent, we are weak, we are sinful, and he comes to us. The reason this is such great love is because of how utterly unworthy we are. We all love the stories of famous and wealthy people paying off loans or donating great gifts. We love it because it echoes this greatest love. God above came down. This is how he loves us. And now that Christ has ascended, we know that God is dwelling within us. Even as his people gather, God is here. We have to believe this by faith. This is probably the most difficult thing of being a Christian. Christ is as present here with us as he was there with John. Christ is as present with you 
in all of your darkness and sadness and loneliness and difficulties and despairs and joys and triumphs and successes right now in this moment and every moment as he was then there with John. It takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe that. Do you have the faith to believe this? Do you have the faith to believe this this morning when you're scrambling to get everybody ready? That Christ, by his spirit, is present with you. That's what we're reading here. We also see in this word dwelt among us, there's still a note of, of it's temporary. The highest has not yet come. It's still a tent. There's a reason people buy fifth wheels or big campers because tents are not enjoyable. They're temporary. When you're first married and don't have any money, you tent. And then you move up to a pop-up camper. And then you move up to a full RV kind of thing. Like, this is just a temporary. The fullness is yet to come. Where do we see the fullness yet to come? Revelation. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That is, there is a day coming we won't have to have faith for it anymore. We'll see it. God will dwell with us present, personally, visibly, eternally. Sin will be no more. Death will be no more. Christ came to accomplish that. Now, when Christ returns, he will return as king. Let me, let me just challenge you one last time in this sermon. We love, love, love the Christmas story. Baby born of a virgin. Baby placed in a manger where animals were kept. Baby taking on flesh, God in flesh. This, it's not shocking to us. What is hard for us, what is hard for you, what is hard for me, what we really don't like is that Christ came to rule you and me. He, he came to radically change your nature of sin and give you a spiritual life nature in order that we might obey him as our king. That's what he came for. Now, that's a good thing. Having Christ as our Lord is really good for us. It, it's blessing. It's life. It's peace. It's joy. It's happiness. But Jesus came to demand your submission to him, to demand your allegiance to him, to demand your obedience to him. He, call, he came to call you as men to lead your wives. He expects you to do so. Wives, he came to demand your submission to your husbands. He, as your Lord, expects you to do so. Children, Jesus Christ came to this world as your Lord, demanding that you obey your parents in everything. Jesus expects you to do this. Jesus came... 
expecting you to put to death all of your lying, all of your greed, all of your lust. So, so we love baby born in a manger. Do we love Jesus coming as king and us submitting to his authority? That's what we're seeing here. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Are, are we willing to submit to him? Another way to say it is, we're to love him. We're to love this God in flesh dwelling among us. And in the Bible, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. So do we love him? It's, a, it's one thing to say, I love you. Oh, I love you. Right? It's another thing to obey his word, to humbly submit to him. Why? Why would we do this? Because he came to earth to pay our penalty for our sin. He's, he's earned it. He's worthy of it. He... He didn't count equality with God as anything, but humbled himself, becoming a human, the lowest form of a slave. Humbled himself even to the point of obedience to death on a cross. This is the glory of Christmas. This is the glory of Christmas, that the Son of God became flesh, that we might be the sons of God by faith, living obediently to him. That's what's going on at Christmas. And so let's love him. Let's, let's give him this kind of love. I think that's what we mean by Merry Christmas, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, what can we do but humbly say thank you for the coming of your Son, for him taking on our flesh, dwelling among us, ultimately to die in our place for our sins. And so, God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, enable, uh, strengthen, give us faith to live in active, real, living obedience to him in every part of our lives, that we might love him more because he is worthy. And so, God, please help us to do this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.